Reese, sometimes the brass allows a false rumor to go on so there won't be a leak. Keep this to yourself until we move out. We're not going home. We're going back on the line. Right, folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 133, and today we're going to be talking about Hell is for Heroes. This great and fantastic film stars Steve McQueen, James Coburn, and Fess Parker. I am your host, Steve. I'm just a Polish DP, Michaels. And joining me is my very good and dear friend, Jeff. Hey, all I do is type, Muncie. <coughs> Hey, Steve. You know, I look around me tonight, and it just feels so lonely in here with just you and I. It does. It really does. Some of a bitch must pay. That's our... <laughs> <laughs> just you and I. It is. It is. You know, I probably should have had some music queued up for that, but uh, I don't. Because I just found out that our other good and dear friend, Mark Deadeye Slover, is at a conference... Uh, information I need to know uh, earlier this week, Mark, but that's all right. And uh, our other very good dear friend. In a, in, a, in a location where he can't communicate with you. Yes, I. <laughs> well, you know, they've got that bubble over that part of Florida, so. Uh, <laughs> sort of like Dalran, right? <laughs> <laughs> sort of an inside joke. Right? Yeah, sort of an inside joke. Uh, listen to our other podcasts where we were talking about the good old days of uh, World of Warcraft. But uh, <laughs> we decided we should start a because that's what we need is more World of Warcraft podcasts. Yeah, right? because there's there's not enough movie reviews. We should do more World of Warcraft. So there you go. And uh, last and certainly not least, our other very good and dear friend Ken Peach Cobbler Roni. Uh, he is. <laughs> He's not available either because he had uh, dinner with uh, friends tonight, so he's obviously entertaining court somewhere in our glorious city of Indianapolis. So, uh, folks, this is kind of kind of uh, a little bit of a throwback to the good old days of the early days of the Man Cave Movie Review when it was just me and Jeff. Steve, and- I don't know if I can carry this show anymore by myself. You know, I'm on a beer ration tonight, so I I am definitely be able to. Oh, clo- you're- you're with me. Good. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. I'm, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I I cut myself off after the fifth martini, so now I'm on a, a, a light beer uh, ration. So we'll be fine. I, All I, right. I can I can handle it. Top men are on this, right? Top, Top men. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to be talking about Hell is for Heroes. This is. Uh, it's a classic. Well, I shouldn't say it's a classic. It's actually kind of an unknown. War movie uh, made back in 1962, if I'm not mistaken. And folks, just so you know, I we had another movie that we were going to do, and I replaced it with this one because you know I was flipping through the Netflix queue and I saw I'm like, holy crap, new releases, Hell is for Heroes. And I remember this movie I watched as a little kid. It it, it was one of those early war movies that really left an impression on me, and. I thought it was really good. Again, early 60s movie. Uh, Steve McQueen was in it. The one guy, and I didn't know who the hell he was at the time. The only guy that I actually recognized in the movie was Fess Parker. 
who played Sergeant Pike. And, you know, for those of you who, uh, you know, who have no idea who Fess Parker is, I remember as a little kid, uh, you know, I watched syndicated movies over my grandfather's house, and he was, uh, he played Davy Crockett in a Walt Disney miniseries. And that's the only thing I ever remember the guy from. But then, you know, when this movie came out, I was like, oh my God, that's, you know, that's Davy Crockett. And, uh, but this is one of those movies that really kind of made an impression on me as a kid, as far as World War II movies went. But um, I just think it is one of the better movies made during that period. I think the 60s were one of those periods when they were, like, cranking out a lot of these World War II movies. Jeff, did you ever see this one before, or is this a first viewing? It's my first viewing. I've heard of it. I mean, just it was in the, uh, you know, collection of movies. Like you said, from that time era, this was... This is one of the ones that um, I was, somebody said, you know, rose to the top. Because, like you said, there were so many that came out. There was just, uh, you know, you're talking about 17, 18 years after the end of the war. And, and so a lot of guys were, I think, starting to put down onto paper uh, their, their experiences. And um, so a lot of this stuff was coming out. But I had never seen it, nor have I really seen, uh, you know, some of the TV shows that were, you know, spun off from this or based on it. But uh, my father-in-law is a huge fan, huge fan of the combat series. Well, we we have actually a um, a text message from uh, uh, Ken, who is not able to be here since he's holding court. But he actually had a very poignant comment to make about this show that we will share with you later. But... Before we get too far into this, we need to give the listeners the Man Cave movie intro to this great and fantastic film. During World War II, a squad of American soldiers try to survive against overwhelming odds. This is a sexy pen. Seven dollars and fifty cents. Eight fifty with eight. <laughs> she really enjoys this, doesn't she? She really does. I, she, I actually, I thought the first take she did was pretty good, and we sat down here for about the next ten minutes because she was like, "No, nah, I don't like that one. I don't like that one either. Let me do it like this." I'm like, Jesus. "My God, she's becoming a diva." I know. Next thing I know, she's going to be down here wearing a boa, <laughs> wanting you know, wanting me to separate the uh, the blue M and M's from the black ones or whatever. Right, Jesus, <laughs> she's going to have demands. Yeah, I'll come down there. <laughs> but this is what I need. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> these five items. Yeah, don't ask, just go get them. Yeah, it was one of those where you know, before I used to try to say do it this way. Now she's like, I want to do it like this, and she's doing her own thing. So, but that's great because. I actually have a wife that's willing to do it. So there you go. We all have to make sacrifices. Oh, she is making it every every day. <laughs> yeah. She reminds me of it, too. So anyway, sure. there there you go, folks. This is, uh, that was the man cave intro to this great movie. And, I mean, there's really not a huge plot to this movie. There's not much to it. It's just pretty much uh, a squad of soldiers that is, you know, Sitting on the Siegfried line, this is probably what late '44. They're at the, well, where's the Siegfried line? I mean, that's pretty much right around France, Germany, right? 
And, you know, it's late in the war. These guys were thinking they were going home, but they weren't. They put, the, you know, they were put back on the line. It's a very thin squad that has to, you know, hold out against overwhelming odds. And I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where you had, you know, Steve McQueen plays Reese, who's, you know, obviously your main, uh, you know, the main character of the show. I, I, obviously, this guy's got some angst. They really never really delve into what his issues are. I mean, you know this guy's got some problems. You know he's been court-martialed. You know he's he's kind of like your you know the early anti-hero. Right. That's that's what I got from this. Yeah. Um, they 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 loosely kind of set it up that he. Uh, he was a sergeant and was dropped back down to uh, a private, and 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 you know they just leave it there that he is really good in combat, but um, um, he has troubles outside of it. He has troubles. That's all, that's all you know. Yeah, he has trouble with authority. Yeah, and that's played off on. I mean, a lot in movies. Well, you know, I'm going to guess since then. I'm going to guess. That this might be the time that that trope might have been created. Well, it was the early '60s, so were you starting to get into that whole counterculture and rebellion and all that thing? Because when you even looked at Reese throughout the movie, I mean, he had the, uh, um, you know, he had the beard going. I mean, everybody else was fairly clean shaven, but I mean, he looked like he'd been in the field for about two weeks. Right. Yeah. So it's or or he didn't give a shit. Well, and that and no one else gave a shit to actually call him out on the fact that uh, you look like you need this shave, right? Because I'm not sure what part of the army would allow that, other than guys that have been out in the field for the last two weeks. And like I said, I saw it as a kid. It really made an impression on me, uh, and I think because I love those old black and white movies, this thing was really it was kind of gritty in a way. And, uh, uh, you know, our good and dear friend Ken, I think, really kind of summed it up in a way. For those of you, uh, you know, folks that are our age, well, and that's even stretching it, if you ever saw the series Combat, uh, you know, this is, what, late 60s? Yeah. Uh, you know, it really was kind of a Hollywood production of a, a combat episode, which is not a knock on it because that was a fantastic, fantastic series. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think you can actually pick it up on Amazon. And yeah, it's my, my father-in-law has the I think the entire collection. How many series? How many seasons was that anyway? I I don't know. I I like I've never seen one. Never seen one episode. Oh I my god! You've never seen one. Never seen one. No, I just you know, and here it. it there, there. I don't know. I don't. It was this was before my time. I never had the. I don't know. I've never been a, a big fan of black and white television, so it's just never had the allure to me to go and check it out. Um, but I mean, I've seen. You know, what was it? Was there? Wasn't there a series called Desert Rats or something? Oh yeah, with the uh, the uh, uh, shit. What the hell's his name? Um, James Mason, I think, is 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 was in there. He played Rama, right? Oh no, no, I'm like, thinking of something no, else. I'm thinking no, of a different th- movie. Yeah, this was the Brit side, I think. Um, anyways, I remember watching that, 
but I don't remember watching combat. Um, and I don't remember watching a lot of black and white TV. Just still don't really enjoy it. But um, it was, you know, something I'm aware that was out there. And I think that that combat was a what came or was written by the same guy that wrote this. No, it was the guy that did Mash. I'm Robert pretty, Altman. I'm pretty sure Robert Altman did some of the Mash stuff, or, or was it this guy? Or am I getting that confused? I, I kind of want to jump back to what you said about the black and white, because I almost think that's a little bit of a generational thing. And I know I've got a few years on you, but not that many. But I think it's enough where you might have you might have started watching a certain type of movies before I did, because I love the black and white movies. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it, it, it just there's something about them that there's this nostalgia there's this throwback there's something about them that i love and you know again it's, i don't mind color movies but it's there there's something about watching these that i don't know it, it it's it's hard to describe i can't put it in the words but you're not the only person that ever said that because there there was another guy I used to work with who used to you know i gave him a movie one time i gave him the movie the big red one uh-huh. uh, that semi fuller movie which i would like to do on the show at some point and I still remember he said he goes, you know, he handed it back to me the next day and he said, he goes, I don't like black and white movies. And I said, it's not a black and white movie. He goes, yeah, it is. And then I forgot the, um, <laughs> the first like five minutes of the movie is set during World War One, and they shot it in black and white. And then after that, the rest of it's in color. I said, well, the rest of it's in color. Oh. He goes, and he goes, so well, he yeah, he just like, he, he said black and white. Yeah, he just shut off. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> you will actually not watch a movie because it's in black and white. And he told me, he goes, yeah, he goes, I don't watch those movies. He goes, if it's not in color, I'm not going to watch it. Which it's almost as insane as somebody not wanting to watch like, I don't know, um, like a superhero movie or, um, you know, a cartoon movie. Or, you know, a comedy or something. I mean, that's just, that's just so far out there. Ah! <laughs> I'm just saying, I just find that that's just, that's just closed minded, Steve. That's all I'm saying. You know, somebody won't watch a black and white movie. That's just, that's just crazy. Okay. They're, they're, you know, I'm not even going to go in that direction because, <laughs> oh. you know, seriously, <laughs> God, come on, bite. No, nope, nope, not gonna bite on it. Right, I'm not that I'm right. not that hungry. Sorry. So but anyway. See now you completely threw off my train of thought. That's why I've earned my name. Yes, you have. But anyway, what do you I mean, what do you think? I mean, what were your impressions from this movie? I mean, you know, I know you like war movies. It's obviously it's not it's got doesn't have the gore and all that stuff from you know what we see today, but I mean, what were your impressions? I try to set my expectations on on on, you know, on the time period. You know, this this is a um, 1962 production, so we're talking, you know, late early 60s, late 50s type of technology, and um and and it's the era that we've alluded to before that you know actors were basically trained on stage. Um, you had um, you know there there were some. Uh, Early on, developed ways of how you make a movie, especially with lighting and photography and whatnot. Um, but so when I when I first watched it, I, I felt I, I, it felt like a TV show. 
Uh, it felt like it was shot like a TV show, and it felt like we were we were sort of watching an uh, an, uh, an episodic TV show. Um, at least that's the way it was in in the well, I, I, even in the uh, even later on. At first, you know, when we're introduced to all the characters, and it was just kind of a um, you know you know kind of early introduction to them, and you're you're meeting each character, and they're doing their thing, and you're defining um, who they are and what their roles are. But you know, even when we get to um, some of the, well, we get to, when we start getting to the uh, Siegfried line, and um, and you start seeing the uh, the tank traps, and um, it, it felt like a TV show, but it also felt. I almost want to say this movie is sort of like the missing link between where TV or where movies had been and where movies were going. That's a good point. That's a really good point. I thought the same thing. Okay. Because, I mean, I thought the production of it, you could, I was trying to, again, stay in mind of the time period. And, you know, we had seen things like, God, Spartacus and the Vikings and some other things that came around around this time period. And they still had kind of the, the old world feel to them. And this was sort of like, this was the, you know, the missing link of the new, you know, the, the new age was, was kind of being ushered in. And so I, I was trying to appreciate it from, from that aspect. But one thing I was actually surprised about was we had talked about uh, a few weeks ago with you had watched Godzilla and you yeah. said you know what I might have liked it had I could have had I, had I had been able to see the movie because you felt it was really dark and you couldn't see anything it may have been the video you were watching or yeah. whatever and what I what I took away from this is a lot of the combat scenes were done at night and it was dark. I mean, there the the use of lighting I didn't think was to good effect, and I thought, man, I'm actually I was actually surprised that you liked it because it was hard to see a lot of stuff that was going on. I'll but, be I'll be honest with you, I was thinking about the same thing, and for this period of time, again, this is 1962. I mean, for Christ's sake, I wasn't even born yet. I mean, this is five years before I was even born, and yeah, the night scenes, particularly the part where they were, you know, trying to assault the pillbox and all that. Yeah, it was dark mm-hmm. and everything like that, but compared to the Godzilla movie, and again, it's not a knock because I was looking forward to seeing that. I mean, there were literally parts where I thought my screen, like, blanked out. I'm like, I can't yeah. well, see no, I'm anything. Not, I'm not criticizing. I'm yeah. just drawing parallels yeah. because I could see how it was frustrating because yeah. I was trying to watch it, and I thought, yeah, I can kind of see what's going on, but a lot of things were just obscure. Now, even though they were hard to see and obscure, I guess in a sense, that's what a real night event would look like, right? right. I mean, you're, there's not a lot of lights out there to, um, to cast directionally or, um, I mean, if, if, if you're out on the front line, I'm going to assume unless you have moonlight, there's not going to be much light out. You're going to work and be working in dark. Right. So I felt there was some authenticity there, probably better than what we have today where, you know, everything is lit up like, you know, some sort of, you know, a candle is is lit over in the corner someplace, and it lights up the entire room like like a Christmas tree, right? So, um, but I I was just thinking about you. While I was watching. That. I was like, you know, I wonder if you, what you thought about all the darkness. And you know, I thought maybe you didn't care. I mean, it wasn't a huge detractor for me, but it was just something I realized we've come we've come a long way because if that scene was if those scenes were shot today, you would you would be able to make out people. A lot easier through through creative lighting. Well, I mean, honestly, I thought the lighting in this was pretty good. Like I said, the only time where you had a hard time 
seeing people was the, you know, like I said, the night assault on the pillbox when uh, uh, Reese and uh, uh, Christ, uh, James uh, Coburn and uh, Kaczynski went to assault it. Yeah, it was hard to see there. You know, but other than that, it wasn't that bad. I mean, at least from my perspective. And I was watching it on my computer here, so... Um, yeah, again, it's 1962. So what do you what do you expect? Okay, that's what I expect. But I, you know, we could also um, I'm going to diverge here a second and talk about you know Mash. I mean, it was shot in the early, late 60s, early 70s, and that's what was going on for that time period. Yet there was some criticism for the way that it was produced and shot, and and so I mean, I think we just I just you know we need to I think appreciate like you just said. Consider the movie where it was when it was made right. and what was going on, what the limitations were to technology, and and make the judgment based on that. I mean, that's I that's what I've always been wanting us to do. Um, as far as you, you you know, you can't really judge that movie in 1962 on today's technology. It's not going to happen. Or even 1980s, you can't. It's there was so much growth. Yeah, I think between this period when this movie was made. Um, through, I mean, I think that you, you start to see an evolution here. I think if you were going to um, start studying film, you you might throw this movie in there and say, look at the advancements in production quality, um, and acting it and, and acting to to early, you know, even going back five or six years earlier uh, to movies that were being produced then, um, and and even later when you get into the late. 60s early 70s i mean there's there is a lot of incremental growth over over the during this time period i should say so i think this is one of the times this is one of the movies that can highlight you know the changes that are going on for the better well you know when you made that comment about the changes throughout time one thing that really kind of stands out and if you remember that scene after the pillbox assault you know when reese is all shook up and the captain comes and is ripping him a new one, and Reese is reacting. It was like overacting. You could have seen William Shatner playing James T. Kirk in both roles, just the overacting that was going on there. So it's kind of like you say, it's like there was this transition from the theater to the screen. You know, because 62, yeah, some of these guys might have been uh, getting acting chops from theater actors. It just... Yeah, I don't know. It was a little bit of overacting in that one particular scene that kind of stood out. But I'm just going to throw that out there. But, you know, the one thing that I did want to bring up was some of the things that I saw in this movie I want to bring up was that whole assault on the pillbox. And, and I even remember as a kid watching the scene where they were trying to crawl through because they know they were going through a minefield. I don't think that's how you try to get through a minefield. I don't think you're trying to actually feel the mine with your hand. You know, yeah, I, I guess if you want to commit suicide, yeah. that's how you go about doing it, right? Feeling your way through and, you know, kind of, you know, patting the top of it and, oh, hey, oh, here it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, at least yeah, every... I mean, back then, I mean, I mean, you saw it in... I mean, you saw it in Kelly's Heroes, you know, where they're, Thank you. They're, yes. they're going through the field. And, I mean, that was just like standard operating procedure. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, for, I mean, either the guy that wrote this never had to deal with mines or maybe he felt his way through a minefield. I don't know. 
But um, he survived to tell about it, and that's what he chose in here. But what I noticed about that scene, it was like, you know, okay, you see one hand kind of, you know, feeling its way through and finding it and marking it, and then moving on, and then you see another hand, and and you know, you, you know that 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 kind of happens again. And I don't know. I kind of looked away from the TV or something. I looked back, and it was like I don't know. That scene dragged out for a while, and I don't know how many they marked, but it was like. This has been going on for quite some time. Are you telling me we're watching them, you know, mark eight to ten of these things? I know it wasn't eight to ten, but it just seemed to be a long, drawn-out scene. It did. And but here's the thing: I don't think it did a great job of like like putting me on the edge of my seat. It was like, okay, well, let me know when something's either going to go wrong or they get through the through the minefield and they're going on to the rest of their mission. Um, but I, I just it was it, what what first struck me was I just don't think that's how you go through a minefield. And you know what? I remember, I think I saw enough World War II movies up to the point when I actually saw this one as a little kid going, why are they doing it that way? I, I thought you were supposed to like take your bayonet <laughs> and Sir, stick it. excuse me. Yeah. Question, yeah, I'm like, every time I saw them clearing a minefield, they either have the, you know, the, the metal detector or the guys like sticking a bayonet in the ground trying to hit the, they're not actually like running their hand against the frickin' Right. Okay. Or they've got a Sherman tank with yeah. one of those rotary thing, rotary chains up front. Right? Yeah. It's like, I, I mean, because even then, I'm like, man, I've seen enough movies up to that point to know that's not how you clear a minefield. But hey, what's. <laughs> and, and to be honest, with you, that was like really the weakest part. The other thing, too, is, I just, just so you know, folks, is that uh, anytime you're ever in a combat situation and. The guy standing next to you has a flamethrower. You don't want to be next to him. <laughs> if there's Just, two places you don't want to be on the battlefield, yeah. it's next to a guy with a flamethrower yeah. and the get and, and next to the guy with uh, with the highest rank. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Everybody else, you know, you're fine. Right. It's it's equal distribution at that point. But right. put the colonel bars on, you know, somebody's helmet and and watch out. Yes, absolutely. But I, I do like this movie because. I think it does a pretty good job of setting what the what the feel was back then. I think at that point, because because uh, I think at the point where we got to the Siegfried line, I think a lot of people actually thought the war was going to be over fairly soon. I don't think anybody had any idea that it was going to go on for another year after that. Well, because they had made they may had they had made more progress. You know, they had they had landed. And made a, a fair amount of progress. I mean, I know they got hung up in in, uh, in the hedgerows and stuff, mm-hmm. and that slowed down. But I mean, just in general, they were making progress. <clears throat> Probably, right. I mean, more than they either thought they were going to or, or really had in the previous years. Um, and and I think everybody felt that once the the train got rolling, that it would you know that would just keep rolling. It would be over soon. I think you know, there's a lot of shows and movies that I'd seen where there's a lot of mention to, oh, you know what, this will be this will be over soon or this will be over by this point. Right. Uh, and nobody thought it was going to go on very long. Of course, when it first started, no one thought it was going to go on very long. Right. Going back to actors and stuff like that, I mean, I guess the, the weakest part of this movie for me was Reese's character is – you really didn't know what his background was. I mean, you knew that he was, you knew he was a, a sergeant at one point, uh, was actually going to be a commission as an officer, got busted back down to private, but you never knew any backstory about him. 
You have no idea what, and it just seemed like that was kind of a weak link. And him and Pike obviously had, you know, some connection, some relationship there. It just never built, you just knew basically that Reese was a rebel or an anti-hero or whatever you want to call it. But you don't know why. You don't know what his issues were. No, and I'm wondering if it's because it's about the bigger picture. You know, it's a, it's about, you know, this group of guys kind of fighting off overwhelming odds. Um, it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a vehicle for which we were to learn who the characters were. And we had a little bit, this was just to kind of say, okay, this is, this is who this person is, but we don't have full character development here. We don't know anything much about these guys. They're one dimensional characters for the most part, but, I don't yes. necessarily have a problem with that because it's we we need to know who the the players are in this, but it's really about the story and the mission, and are you know are they going to be successful or not? Right? Uh, are you looking for you know to understand you know a deep understanding for Steve McQueen's characters? No, nah, not really. But <clears throat> what what I found interesting in my research was, um, he was. He comes across as this kind of disaffected um, guy who doesn't, you know, who well doesn't want to be there, doesn't, you know, kind of doesn't care. Um, and what I found out in my research was, well, um, Steve McQueen was really disgruntled about being on this on this set. He has a lot of problems with the production. Um, with the the lack of investment, and 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 he had he had opted out he was basically convinced to do this by his agent um he had passed on something else that he really wanted to do and felt he was trapped here and and hated it and so some speculation is um what you're seeing on the screen isn't necessarily method acting as much as it's him being pissed off that he's there interesting i did not know that yeah, I I can send you the information I found. I I thought, well, that's 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 kind of kind of good to know, um, or it just kind of muddles what I thought was just you know good acting about somebody that was disgruntled about you know being a private and and being in in you know in the world of shit that he's in. So wow, I had no idea. I mean, I knew McQueen had issues throughout this movie based on the research I got off of the IMDb website but that part i didn't know i didn't know he was that honked off because you know he got talked into the show so hmm, interesting well, well what else i read was when they this script had been out there so this script was written i guess a couple years beforehand and it was um it was given to bobby darren and um bob newhart and afterward bob newhart made a comment that you know some things had changed because um, he thought or felt that Bobby Darren, the singer, was going to this was a vehicle for him, and that once Steve McQueen was brought on, the script was changed or the story was changed a little bit. He was put in as this other character, and it caused it, it just it caused a change that really didn't sit well with some of the other characters too. Um, now Bob Newhart, you know, you go well. Who's Bob Newhart? We haven't really talked about him. Yeah, it is the Bob Newhart. Yes, and and he has a role in this movie. And and I, when we, you know, I want to I want to make some observations about his role and this movie. See what you think when we get to it. But right. uh, but Steve is uh, Steve McQueen 
you know, you, you would think that they would want – I mean, that, you, you figure they hit the home run when they were like, Steve McQueen signs on for this because that's going to get people to come and see it. And, um, you know, it, for him, this, this movie, the script was, was just – was lacking in, in his expectation. And, and so that, I think that's what you get on the screen. Well, you know what? Let's talk about some of these actors because I want to talk a little bit about Bobby Darren. Yeah. I well, I mean, what were your thoughts of him on this movie? Yeah. Okay, so we you know, we talked about Tony Curtis and um Spartacus. Yes. Uh, um you know, this this was something that was going on during this time period. You had to have a you know, one of you know, these singers or, you know, these these people that were kind of fish out of water in the movies, um, to to kind of bring the girls in or draw a certain other demographic to come and want to watch it. But I didn't really necessarily feel that about Bobby Darren, that he was out of place any more than I think anybody else in the movie. Uh, you know, when I first saw him, even as a kid, <laughs> to be honest with you, uh, as a kid, I remember thinking that was uh, Lou Costello from Edmund to Costello. That's who I thought it was. I, I, I was kind of like, and then as I, as I got older, I thought it was a guy that played, uh, Christ, what the hell was his name in, uh, Stalag 17. We did this movie, um, um, Holden. No, it wasn't William Holden. Um, he played the same, he played same, uh, 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 Shapiro, Shapiro, uh, Shapiro, Shapiro. I mean, Harvey Lembeck, I was like, is that the same guy? They, I mean, you look at the three of those guys together, it's the same freaking dude. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. I, I had no idea who Bobby Darren was, so I was like, eh, whatever. Okay. So Yeah, but no, he, he didn't seem like, like I said, I don't know. Did you, what would you think of his acting? I didn't think it was atrocious or bad. I just, I, I didn't think it was any worse than anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was fine, and, and I don't. Do, do do you know about? Uh, he died young. Do you know anything about his his death? Um, I do not. I didn't look. Um, he had a lot. He was sick for most of his life, and he had um he had some he had a some 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 problems with his heart, and tragically, when the guy died in his thirties, like thirty seven or something. Oh, wow. where he was supposed to go in. I mean, he he just had, he was a, a fragile guy, but he had some. Um, he had to go in for um, some, a dental surgery, and he had to take some antibiotics or some medicine beforehand to prepare him for the surgery. And what ended up happening is, I guess he didn't, or something happened where um, after his his surgery, he he basically had to go to the hospital. Um, because something happened to one of his valves in his heart. And um, while he was there, he ended up succumbing to sepsis and ended up dying wow. um, at a real early age. And it was real, I mean, it's just a bizarre, not really bizarre tragedy, just unfortunate, you know, you know, due to illness um, or medical condition. Um, you know, just, you know, circumstances that uh, were unfortunate died at an early age. Nothing, you know, I mean, no, no drugs, no alcohol. It was just, you know, an unfortunate series of events. Well, and I didn't realize he was a singer. So, yeah. Yeah. He was, almost, I mean, he was like a, I don't know. I don't know who to compare him to now, but, cause I don't pay attention to, um, 
and I don't think many many of our audiences care, but I mean, he was. Yeah, I think it, you know, the girls. He's like a Tony Curtis in a sense. I mean, the girls you oh, know, okay. swooned over him. Oh, okay. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's you know singer in the fifties. Um, you know, he kind of a kind of a pretty boy guy. Yep. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you could see where the guy was definitely like a, a little bit of the uh, the boy toy for the girls. Yeah. yeah, and that's, I mean, again, I I think, uh, you know, whether, I mean, and I think his agent wanted him maybe to get into movies, I mean, that was kind of what was going on during that period, you know, you always had a, you know, Elvis had, you know, been successful with it, and, uh, I mean, I think it was just, you know, this is a chance for people to break in the, you know, singers to break into movies and expand their, uh, bring, you know, their audience, so, the interesting role, I mean, I'll tell you what, you go on, throw out some other actors in it. Well, I mean, the only other one, uh, the the two that stand out for me were uh, Steve McQueen and James Coburn. And I'll tell you what, the one guy that was in this, and, I, you know, Steve McQueen's a big uh, legend in Hollywood, but the guy that I really liked in this movie was James Coburn. I like yeah. his character. Well, yeah, I like James Coburn. And, you know, what was interesting, I hadn't, I hadn't really seen James Coburn in anything when he was younger. Uh, you know, most of the stuff that I was introduced to him in was in the seventies and eighties. Right. So to see him as to hear that voice, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. He must have been born with the voice. Yes. Um, he sounded I mean, exactly like he did when he was like eighty nine or whatever when he yes. died. It was like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when he came out, you know, you know, two years later, he's you know he's got that you know gravelly voice, um, where you know it's unmistakable. You know, when you hear him talk, yes. it, it is it is that classic voice. I mean, it is so deep and baritone. Um, it, it and but you hear it on like basically a young guy because he comes out from underneath that half track that or whatever he was trying to fix. Yes, um, that had I don't know, it, it had it had holes in it. <laughs> um, I, I mean, he was looking down through some of the holes that had been ripped in this thing, and you know, and I like the character development on that, which was. He, um, you know, he can fix anything. Yeah. It doesn't matter what kind of shape, how beat up, destroyed, bombed out it is. The guy can fix it. Yeah. No, and, and and he was a great character. Not, and I think this was probably an early movie for him. I got to look at his uh, filmography. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, the guy's a the, the guy is literally an American icon, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, good lord, I'm still scrolling. <laughs> Uh, let's see, he was in, good lord, he's in the Twilight Zone. I mean, the, the, the man had a very, had a great career. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, my and, God, you know, I forgot, he was in Bonanza. He was in Bonanza. Bonanza? Say that again. Bonanza? <laughs> Bonanza. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, he, he, if you watch Bonanza, the I mean, I think The Rifleman, I mean, if you watch those shows, there are a lot of... The guys that like we 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 really enjoy in movies that yes. got their starts in those. Jesus Christ, have gun will travel. Yeah, that's nineteen. Oh, good lord, the guy was. I mean, he's been around for a while. His first movie was in nineteen fifty-seven. Christ. All right, now I really feel old because I mean, <laughs> I mean, because what the hell was the movie we did with him? Oh, payback! Remember, he payback. was in payback. Oh <laughs> One of his greatest roles. <laughs> he just That's shot just my me, man. That's just That's me. Just me. <laughs> he just shot my alligator <laughs> suitcase. <laughs> Seventy-six thousand. <000. laughs> I got suits more than that. 
Oh gosh, he, he stole scenes in that movie. He it sure, he sure did. Awesome. He oh my gosh. Just he had, you know, he he could have had that serious role, but he really had a um, a comedic value to him. Yes. No, he did. But uh, you know, the thing of it is, is that. You know, this is one of those movies that a lot of the directors, and I read a little bit, all the directors, I think from this period, they try to set these up as like anti-war movies. And I don't know if I've ever actually seen a pro-war movie. Uh, even the even the movies that you even saw, what I would refer to as the propagandas, you know, so-called movies during World War II, you know, like the Fighting Seabees or Sanzi Wujima or all that. Those movies still, I mean, yeah, it was rah-rah, but, I mean, you didn't walk away feeling really good afterwards. No, I mean, they really wanted to highlight, I think, the horrors of war. I yes. mean, you didn't seldom, I mean, can I think of, I mean, unless you're watching Hard Boiled, which is really celebrating violence, Yeah. Um, it's, it is, yeah, most of them, I think, are a cautionary tale. You know, I mean, it, it's... It, it's a tool after diplomacy breaks down that you that is an option, but it's not it's not pretty. It's not great. Um, you know, it, it, the title is always something that struck me weird. You know, you know, hell is for heroes. Well, I I'd, I'd like to think that heroes go someplace else other than hell. Right. Uh, I don't I don't know about you, but um, I mean that's I'm like I, I hope you know these heroes aren't going straight to hell. But I mean maybe I mean I know war is hell. And maybe what maybe that's the thing is that they're saying war is hell and you need heroes for it. I don't know. That's you know the flip side. I don't know. Maybe maybe our maybe our brain trust uh, uh, listeners that we have uh, on Facebook can help me understand that because I mean I just don't yeah I don't get you know hells for heroes. You know, I'd like to think that's where heaven that's what heaven's for, but we can get into theology some other time. But right. Um, but the other person that I thought was an interesting role, and, and I liked how they, they put it in the movie. It was like, I think it was introducing, or he was the last person that was, was, was put up there, was <laughs> yes. Bob Newhart. Yes. Hiya, fellas. Hi, fellas. I mean. <laughs> well, I one, of, one of the I'm comedic to scenes. I go over here to this location, and, uh, well, you're. 30 miles away from that. Oh, what, what was me? Um, it, that character, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm sitting there and I'm watching that and I, something struck me. This movie, and I want to get your take on this, this movie seemed, I would be, if, if I was able to sit down with Steven Spielberg, and ask him. I would. I would. I would think the answer would have to be yes. That this was an inspiration, because there's a lot of parallels for for this movie and Saving Private Ryan. Because don't you see Upham when you see Bob Newhart's character? You know, until you said that, I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Except and, the fact that Bob Newhart performed better than Upham. Well, okay, aside no, from gonna, that, well, yes. I'll tell you what. If we're talking about, uh, uh, well, no, not Dewey. Who was? Uh, I mean, you, you know, it's the same actor that plays in uh, Justified. Um, God, I can't remember his name. Um, it was uh, yeah, no, it, it wasn't Dewey. It was uh, no, it wasn't Dewey. It was, he cousin, was the wasn't Bennett, it? the Bennett brother, the boy, the Bennett boys. Yes, yeah. You know, the, the fact that I mean that that guy was able to play, you know, Upham, which, which was this, you know, sniveling. 
wimp of a man. Um, but no, I mean, not necessarily that parallel as much as, all right, so you had this, you, you had this, um, um, I don't know, this office clerk or, you know, somebody that, you know, was responsible for, for typing. Um, you had that character with a group of guys, <clears throat> excuse me, that were on a mission that had to end up holding out against overwhelming odds. It was that scene in Saving Private Ryan where, you know, you had everybody going up against, uh, you know, a company of, uh, of Germans. And in this movie, you had, you know, this, this group of uh, GIs that was going up, you know, was holding out on this line against, you know, basically a company or two, or battalion or some, some force that was, you know, you know, much larger than theirs. Um, and, and so, you know, they had to find creative things to do to, you know, throw off the enemy. And, you know, and that's basically what they did in the Saving Private Ryan, too. It was, it was right. a small group of guys that were trying to outsmart and outplay the Germans. And there just seemed to be a lot of parallels, even down to, you know, the corporal who is, you know, in the, in the, you know, writing or, or, um, reporting business that, you know, who, who kind of, you know, happens into the group for, you know, for whatever circumstance. So right. I don't know. I just, that's what I just saw a lot of similarities. So I want to get your take on it. Um, you know what? Never thought about that, but now that you brought it up, <laughs> interesting observation. I, I can't really argue it. Well, you know, think about it. I'd be interested to see what, uh, uh the listeners, Mark yeah. and, you know, Mark and Ken might, might have an insight into it, but, yeah, but I was you, just really surprised. Yeah. I just you, thought, wow. Yeah, you make a good point because, I mean, you get a guy like uh, Driscoll. I mean, he's just like up him. He's like, I've never done anything but type. I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't, he doesn't even know how to use his weapon. Mm -hmm. Even though he has one, he doesn't even know what the trigger is versus the safety, which, <laughs> which is a great scene right there. <laughs> which, right. <laughs> which, which, you know, if I, if I was Steve McQueen, I'd have just ended him right there. I'd be like, are you, are you kidding me? That's what we thought about up him. It's like, oh my God, put him out of his misery. Yeah, I would have been like that scene right there when he just basically turned the gun and pointed at him. I was like, no, I'd have just shot. I'm like, if you're that, <laughs> if you're that dangerous on the line, oh my God. Let anyway, me help you with that. Oh, yeah. my bad. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, a little bit of trivia here, guys, because there's some good stuff here. Uh, let's see. We talked about Bob Newhart. He plays a, uh, comedic role he is the comedic element of this movie but uh, bob newhart said in an interview that due to the film's ballooning budget paramount refused to provide a more film stock to the set the production ran out of film stock before the filming uh before filming the scripted finale and the abrupt ending has helped the film gain a cult audience and for those of you not seeing the ending, because it is just, it just kind of ends. Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like you're, you're waiting for something else. And it's like, we're done. We're <laughs> yeah, done. All right. It, but you know, the thing of it is, is that when you watch it a couple of times, it's like, yeah, that fits. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, the end of the story. Okay. You know, it's kind of one of those weird things about how some weird things like, well, we ran out of film, can't do anymore. Now we're on to here. <laughs> It looks like a good place to yeah, stop. It looks right like a good here. place to stop, and then all of a sudden you're like, all right. And But the thing that is, you look back, you're like, actually, that's really pretty good. 
That's all. We, that's that. You don't. I mean, that, yeah. that's it. Yeah. You don't need any more. You yes. don't need to have some sort of closure to it. It's just. It's done. Yes. Um. You know, something else that I found in my research was where they they shot this in California, and it was during the summer. It was incredibly hot, yes. and that's why we have a lot of the night scenes there, where they wanted to shoot them because the actors were. I mean, just complaining about how hot it was. So a lot of things were done in the evening to 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 fend that off, but I think um, I've read something where um, they also, as the production went on, became a little more and more disgruntled about the production of the movie and how long it was taking and the heat and whatever, and they ended up like like at times just shooting it like at or near people's homes. They were just <laughs> trying to please them. It's like they were just. I mean, you could just see somebody throwing up their hands one morning going, fine, fine, this movie is over now, all right? We're just done. Put a nail on it. You almost wonder how some of these movies got made. Or, yeah, you wonder how some of these movies got made, and you wonder how many movies got so far that would have been great that somebody just said, screw it. This is not worth going on anymore. We're done. Right. All right, uh... I, I do want to point this out. The shoulder patch worn by most of the soldiers in the platoon is the 95th Infantry Division, a real-life military unit nicknamed Iron Men of Metz. That's all action in uh, the uh, European theater during World War II. Today, the 95th is an Army Reserve unit headquartered at Force Sill, Oklahoma. So there you go. Come sweeping across the plains. Yes. Yeah. All right. The weapon that Steve McQueen used is an M345 ACP submachine gun, known as the Grease Gun. Uh, came to use late in the war, replacing the Thompson submachine gun, also known as the Tommy Gun. Uh, it's not a general-use weapon. It was normally carried by tank crews, although a lot of them found their way to the frontline troops. I really like this weapon. I mean, it's pretty cool. There's two versions of it. There's the early war weapon, the way you used to charge it, which... Good Lord, who who designed that is beyond me. But uh, Reese had the bolt action side that actually you would charge it with a bolt before you actually had to uh, load the weapon like you did an M1, which was uh, you could lose a thumb. But anyway, <laughs> what are you gonna are you gonna share your story? I already shared it in the other story. Well, okay, uh, okay fine. I will share with the listeners, I folks. I, just so you know. This was the movie because I thought that was the coolest looking gun in the world. The M3 45. It was awesome. Man, you know what? If I got my grandpa's caulking gun and made some modifications, next thing you know, I actually, I think I might have been 12 when I made this thing. Yeah, my grandfather had a great workbench. But yeah, I it wasn't a working model. Mind you, obviously, it was just for playing guns because when you, you know, back in that day, that's what you did. You know, everybody had the, you know, the guns you bought at Kmart. No, I had a M3, and I actually could switch clips. Yeah, I used a caulking gun. How you didn't go on to be like the next Bill Gates or something, I, I don't know. Quite creative you are. I wasn't that creative. I, well, I was creative enough where my grandfather shit his pants when he saw me with that gun. It's like, where did you get that? <laughs> Because I even had, I even had the uh, the dust cover that you could flip back and forth. That is just impressive, Steve. I was, I'm you know, impressed by the story. If I still had that thing, I would be bragging about it now. 
But <clears throat> anyway, that was uh, actually, and I think that is why I like this movie because that was the inspiration for me to make that gun. I mean, you know, it it it's a nice looking gun. I mean, it's it, it you don't. Um, I mean, when you see it, you know what it is. It's sort of like uh, you know, when, well, when you got a Thompson. I mean, you you know what it is. Well, just so you know, they actually did make that thing to replace the Thompson because the Thompson took a lot of work. I think the M3, I think they said it cost them about 20 bucks to make it, and the Thompson was about 100 bucks. So there you go. Hmm. I mean, the M3 was pretty much a stamp piece. I mean, you, it was not a pretty gun, although it did jam a lot. And you actually saw that during the, uh, the show. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I mean, you did. There, I think there was at one point, I, th- I he had to clear that thing about four or five times. It's like, wow. Uh, let's see. Uh, where are we at? Uh, oh, during production, a number of the act, including Steve McQueen and Fess Parker, frequently arrived on set late and shot a number of scenes with little or no rehearsal and without makeup. Apparently, they were working on other film projects at the same time. Right. That's one of the best trivia pieces is the actors got kind of tired of it. They were doing their own thing, and then they were like, okay, we'll come back. They would literally run in, do their lines, and run back out. That's epic. Love it. That's gold, well, Jerry. That's gold. <laughs> and cut. Oh, gosh. All right. You know, that's it with trivia because there's some more stuff there, but I really don't want to go through it. So we are... <laughs> really not that into it <laughs> because it's not that good that's why so it's, we're yeah. we're going to move on to brother what you drinking and oh, uh since there's only two of us this may be a long <laughs> read this, this, this may be a people are like half an hour what the hell did they do <laughs> <laughs> what the hell did they talk about on this podcast well i'm not going to be too long i went to the liquor store the other day and i was just trying to find some uh something different and i know it's november but um I got, uh, um, I saw Line and Kugel had an Oktoberfest, mm. and uh, and I picked it up. And you know what? I like it. I'm not a big Liney fan, but I thought, you know what? I um, it was it was it was on sale, obviously, because they're trying to get rid of it. And uh, of course, when it rang up, it wasn't. And uh, I pointed out to the uh, the loyal clerk behind the counter that um, you know what? It's actually a dollar cheaper than what he rung up, and 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 it really was not worth his time to go back and actually verify it. But um, he came back a little more disgruntled than when I had first met him. So um, so he changed my uh, my six pack from uh, nine ninety nine, which is what he was wanting to charge me, to eight ninety nine. But uh, it's the principle of the matter, Steve. Principle of the matter. But it's you know it's it's a nice it's a it's a nice light well balanced Oktoberfest, and um, I can say that uh, my eight ninety nine was uh, was well spent. Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Nice, like it. Yeah, I'm sure the ABB is like three point four, so I'm not even going to bother with that. I'm just going to guess because there's not much here. Yeah. Anyways, what are you drinking tonight, Steve? Actually, you know what? I picked up um, uh, my favorite liquor store, the one that with the uh, uh, the two and the one in an amendment. They are carrying the twelfth amendment. Yeah, the finally they are carrying a uh, uh, the Dundee's, and I've talked about them before. It's yeah. Dun- it, yeah, it's Dundee's beers, and guys, seriously, it's they're they're awesome. I mean, all their beers, uh, pale ales are really good. 
Again, I've, I've kind of lost my taste for pale ales, but these are very good. And I'm actually drinking the Dundee India Pale Ale. And you can go out right now and get their seasonal pack. And it's awesome. It's nice. I really like it. I mean, I think it comes out to about a buck a beer. When you Anymore. That's a fair price. Yeah. Like I said, Dundee's is very good. Ken is drinking a uh, Stoli and Diet Coke and... Zima with fruit punch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. Mark, Mark's probably in bed right now, so... <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the old man is. <laughs> time is it? 9.15? Oh, yeah. Man, it's dark outside. I get to bed. Where, where's the, uh, where, where, where's the conference at? I I can neither confirm nor deny that it's in it's in uh, it's in a place that uh, that that you frequent once a year. Well, they're not two hours behind me. No, they're they're on the same damn time. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's, he's, but you're he, right. He's probably still no, in bed. Oh yeah, he's done. He's done. The quarterback is toes. <laughs> All right. Well. There you go. That is it with Brother What You Drinking and the uh, testimony that will probably uh, acquit Ken and, Ken and Mark from our murders. Right. Right. So anyway. Judge, I want to present you Exhibit A, the podcast. <laughs> that's all I need. All right, folks. All right, well. There we are. We are done with Brother What You Drinking and uh, making a good humor of our other very good dear friends, Ken and Mark. So we are going to move on to clips. 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 Our favorite part of the show. Let's see. We got number one here. Fountain pens. Hey, Corby. Oh, good afternoon, Sergeant. You still charging five bucks a fountain pen? No, sir. That's seven fifty now. Oh, seven fifty now. Uh, Eight fifty with ink. I need a volunteer for detail. Oh, I forgot for you, they're only $5, Sarge. Maybe he's a Republican. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe. make him a deal, deal. Well, and that's where uh, that's where Deb got her inspiration for the show. So, All right, let's see, number two. I gave you $3. Where's my change? No money. Who's two? That's a crock. Crack? I lay you ten to one. He spent it on a bottle. Not me. Oh no, 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 no bottle, no drink. Huh? Ya boga koham, ya muvienci All right, all right, all right. I'm gonna forget it. That's about the only Polish I actually could listen or understand when he when he spoke. In, you know, they had they had a mascot that was a pole, and I realized your role in this show after watching this. I did this movie. You are a mascot. And uh, just so you know, um, the minute they picked him up, he would have been shipped off to the uh, Second Polish Army. And they would have said, uh, infantry or paratroop, you've got a choice. <laughs> um, 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 Minefinder or? No, no, it was, it was infantry or paratroop. You had More two choices. Because <laughs> uh, I think all the Polish armor was on the Russian side. But anyway. Well, that, they could have gone cavalry. Yeah. Son of a bitch must pay. All right. Well, I don't know if you – I digress here. Uh, I don't know if you – my first Gen Con that I ever went to was up in Wisconsin. And they had planned this big four-day ETO, European Theater of Operation. Okay. Um it was, it was, you know, it started on the first day. It was going to end on the last day. 
Um, we got there on day one. Midday on the first day, we walked by the table because it was going to be like this big mega game. There's nobody there. And on the chalkboard was simply written, Polish Cavalry, Blitz Berlin, take it, war is over, turn two, done. Wow. That was it. You could tell somebody was angry. Angry, <laughs> angry when they wrote that. <laughs> Four-day game, done in like, you know, a couple of hours. Wow. Poles, Blitz, Berlin, take Hitler, war over. I should have been there. Uh, it, <laughs> you would have been proud. I would have been proud. I, I'm not sure I saw any, like, chalk outlines or anything. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Moving on. Sure number three. Somebody died. All right. Go on. <laughs> number three. Yeah. This pen broke down between yours and Truly. Well, that's a very sexy pen, Sergeant. Maybe it got bored. Is the uh, the the intro making sense yet? I got the intro. Okay, I got it. Okay, <laughs> just just want to make sure. I've got it. All right, all right. Number four. I drink to you and to the American Army. How long ago were you drinking with the Third Reich? I do not like the Germans. Don't like me either, but you're drinking with me. You know what? I, I I got that a lot when I was when I was in the bars back in my early days. Yeah, I did. You ask that to some ladies? Who were you drinking with a half hour ago? <laughs> I did. And I usually got slapped. So I'm I'm I am rightfully so. Yeah. Well, you really caught the you know the first five minutes of dialogue already in the show, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. All right, next one. What's the matter? Can't you forget about that loot? You're in a church. Well, this ain't a church no more, Sergeant. And besides, even if it was, so what? But it used to be, J.J. You ought to have respect for things that used to be. What, are you bucking for chaplain or something? I got respect, Sergeant. Plenty. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that that is, you know, that is somebody trying to talk about the, the, the you know, war's hell. And I guess it's uh, it's one of those thought-provoking scenes. Yeah. Um, they really zoomed in on that. So there's some, there was intent, there's intent to that scene. Right. Uh, let's see. I like this one here. I got a system. Every time things seem bad, I concentrate on something in the past that was worse. You ought to try it. Not me. No, you have no imagination. Trouble is I got too much. I can imagine what's going to happen to us when those crowds discover there ain't nobody over here but us campfire girls. <laughs> <laughs> you know there there was subtle humor in this you know, oh my god it was all <clears throat> over the movie i think just like with you last week some of the uh some of the humor was lost on me like it was with you and mash um i i, I understand what they were trying to go for but sometimes it, it fell flat some of it was some of it was 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 was, was humorous but that's it, it, this is also one of the examples I want to give about the movie is there, there is, there's a nice, this movie illustrates the, the shift from where we were, you know, prior to this, you know, serious movies maybe didn't have as much comedy to them, but, but we're starting to see that shift that, you know, serious movies can have, you know, some, some good writing in it that does leave you chuckling. Right. All right. Number seven, I, I call this on the job training. 
Sergeant, you, you don't understand. I was sent to clerk typing school. That's all I've ever done in the army was was type. Man, we're going to give you on the job training. And that was Bob Newhart. <laughs> believe, believe it or not. That was Bob oh, Newhart. I believe it. Wine, 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 wine. <laughs> yeah. I was, oh, my God. I, you know, I, when I first saw that Bob Newhart was going to move, I'm like, man, I, I just can't see Bob Newhart as a badass. Well, you can't see Bob Newhart as a badass. And he, and he wasn't. He was not a bad. I thought, oh, he's going to be in a war movie. You know, this is what I expect to see him at. Nope, nope. You know what? They cast him exactly as the role as he he probably should have been. Yep. And this is the uh, this is his best role or his best line in the movie. This is Lieutenant Driscoll. Don't 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 send them up here, sir. I have five men in each foxhole now. <laughs> I, I don't have any room for any more, sir. Have you tried Charlie Company, sir? Oh, I, I see. Well, well sir, there's there's still a war going on in Japan, you know, sir. You you, you might send them over there. <laughs> I I gotta say, him, you know, after they find the uh, listening device and yes. and their misdirection and miscommunicate that that was. I was chuckling. It was <laughs> priceless. Yeah, we got five guys in a foxhole now. <laughs> we, we don't have enough people. <laughs> no, there's a war going on over there. You can send them over there. We don't need any more here, sir. Oh gosh. All right, guy. All right. Here is my uh, here's my buddy Homer. I could not be sorry. I stay. Gonna kill plenty crowds. Shoot them all up. See you later, friend. <laughs> That is that is definitely your brother. It was it, actually that was probably my father or my grandfather. So uh, let's see. Your uh, grandfather was a dweeb. Uh, you know what? You're actually what I know of your dad and your grandfather. That they, they they would have they would have snapped that guy in half. Probably. All right. This is what I call chosen poorly. Apple pie. <laughs> that is uh, <laughs> going to be the closest to a Wilhelm scream that we're going to get tonight, isn't it? I think so. <laughs> Apple pie. You know ah! what? <laughs> Forgot about that scene. You know, it's classic because it's like if you're going to pick a password, don't think of something that obvious <laughs> because it was Apple cobbler. Uh, hi. <laughs> so, uh, well, th- b- be honest with you, that was a Wilhelm scream because that guy probably was named Wilhelm. <laughs> Apple pie. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I mean, you just okay. Here's how the scene's going to go down. You're gonna, he's going to say this, say this, and all that. you're going to scream off camera. All right, go. Okay. All right. All right, well, I think that's it. All right, uh, well, no, I have one more. It's kind of a downer after that one because that was actually kind of funny. So we'll do this one last and certainly not least. 
Crazy. The rumor is the company's coming back up here. The rumor is. And you're going to carry out orders, my orders. You got that? You wave that thing in my face once more and I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to give you that chance, mister. As soon as this is over, I'll square off with you any time. And you want to know something? That's the best thing I've got to look forward to. There's a violin playing his little heartstrings out someplace for that guy. Yeah, there was. Wow. Well, you know, you got some pretty good clips there. That gives you a flavor. I think that did a good job of giving you the flavor for the movie. You think? Yeah. I thought you, you know, you know, aside from um, a flamethrower, you know, going up and, you know, some guys, you know, screaming after they get shrapnel and set a mine off with their hand. Aside from those things, I think you, you captured the essence of the movie. Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't want to spoil it for everybody else. So. No, no. I mean, by no means should you really let people know everything about this movie. I mean... Keep them in suspense. Right. All right. So there you go, folks. That is it with clips. And uh, I saved the best parts for the, uh, you know, for the show. Watch the movie for the rest. All right. So we are now moving on to the Man Cave movie review checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. <laughs> Did anyone jump out of a window? Well, Steve, I actually don't think so. Nope, I don't, there were no windows in this movie. Not not out in the middle of the countryside. Nope. No. All right, number two. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? Jeff, no. Jeff, I, I'm just throwing it out to you. <laughs> Are you going to say the Bob Newhart role? No. No. I mean, no, I don't well, I mean, so. there was only actually one real female role in the movie. There was, uh, she was bartending. Right. I, I just did well, I figured that was totally relevant, but I just wanted no, your I thought thoughts. She was, I thought she was pretty darn hot. She had the um, glorious glucanspiel. <laughs> what knockers. Why, thank you. <laughs> I might have to get that as a regular clip. Good Lord. <laughs> Good Lord. Sorry, I'm just with the one-liners tonight. Yeah, you are. You're you're doing quite well. I mean, I like, if we if we can add the what knockers to it, I'm you know we can just you know we can have a field day with that. And I don't know that might put off some of our female listeners. What? Of course, I'm I'm talking about door knockers. Right? I was I mean, that's all, what you're talking about, all, right? All two of them. All right. <laughs> well, let's see. Uh, Last next, time I counted. We're at four. Are we at four? All right. All right. I think we're at four. You know what? If they have not been turned off by us by now, right? We, I guess there's, there's nothing, nothing we, can we can do. Nothing. All right. They love us. They yeah. really love us. Yes. All right. Next one. <laughs> I laugh at that. Just as if I had the first time I heard that. Or I'm just watching that, that lunatic. <laughs> Was there a Wilhelm scream in this movie? God. Yeah, I think we've guessed there was. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that counts. I don't think that one counts as a Wilhelm oh, scream. Apple. I, I really don't. I don't know. You're, you're right. It, it doesn't. No. Can you and play that again? Can you play that clip again? Yes, so I can. can yeah, I can. Let's hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh. Apple. No. <laughs> That's, you know what? Two octaves different, and it, we were there. We were golden. 
There just wasn't the voice fluctuation in the middle. Damn it. You're right, Steve. Move on. <laughs> Apple. Bye. Oh, gosh. Love it. All right. I fine. do. Not one. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, here we go. Uh, could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? I don't know. I mean, yes. I, oh my God! Well, if you, I, I don't. Know. It's again. It's, it's always a, adjusted for age inflation. I'm so, just saying. I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah. Ah, fine. I guess. I don't know. I don't have a dog in that fight. Okay. So you the, say yes. I say I don't care. So it's a yes. All right. Fine. Move okay, on, sir. So Move I on. say yes, you're going to be France. Okay, that's fine. I'm... <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Give up, quit, and go home. Yep, that's fine. Eat my bonbon and mm-hmm. twirl my mustache. There you go. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, what do we got here? Oh, yeah, here we go. Was there an 18 montage in this movie? I can't remember. You know, this was, again, this is pre-montage days. They really didn't do that. No, I didn't. Yeah. No, everything they seemed to do was just like sequential, but yeah. not really a montage. Yeah. It was yeah. just okay. I may have to start doing checklists for certain uh, generational movies because, uh, yeah, that really doesn't fit. No. Uh, all right, well, let's see. Last and not least, and I will be shocked. Shocked, I say, if Muncie can actually pull this one out. And so it begins. Was there a B5 reference in this movie? No. Didn't think so. No, no. Too few of actors, too old. Yep. Nothing. Yeah, there's probably like a handful of guys that were even born when this movie right. came out. So that's all right. All right, so that's it. That's it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. We are now moving on to the Man Cave review of this great and fantastic film. I'm going to let you take this, sir. All right. I saw this movie as a kid. I really did enjoy it then. I still enjoy it now. It's one of those things that... um, It's one of those movies that... uh, It's hard to put in a place... I think because when I saw it, the first time I saw it was as a kid, it really had an impact on me. I liked the way it was filmed. I liked the cinematography. I liked the actors. I especially liked Steve McQueen, the movie. And, um, oh gosh, well, Fess Parker, because I remember him watching him in the Disney stuff as Davy Crockett. So I was really hip on him uh, as a little kid, enjoyed watching him, but Overall, as war movies go, this is a personal favorite. And again, guys, I will always say I always kind of put that nostalgic thing like these movies. I'm going to give it an 8. I really like this movie. By today's standards, does it hold up? No. But it is a great movie to watch. A lot of people probably have not seen this movie it is now uh, streaming on Netflix for free, so go see it. Solid eight. Um, uh, you know, I'm surprised you gave it an eight. 
I think I just thought I you would have came in higher, not necessarily a ten, not even not even a nine. But yeah, I'm going to walk myself through this because um, I'm not sure exactly what I want to give it yet. You know, the I went into this with no expectations, other than that it was it was an old movie. So I guess you know I I was conscious of you know what was going on at this time with movies. I don't be I don't claim to be a connoisseur of of this age or genre um i was never you know into the the serial series of um you know those uh, tv shows uh, you know based on um you know combat or desert rats or, or some of the other ones but um i am aware of, of other movies that came before it and after it and and, and i do see a, a nice progression in in the in the production and the acting um, during this period. So production-wise, I was pleasantly surprised with it. I really liked it. I liked the look of the movie. Um, it did feel, on one hand, sort of like a TV show, but um, we had elements that it was just like a, a well-produced TV show. Um, it looked good. Um, the actors didn't feel like they were you know, staged actors. They were solid actors. Who you know put forth a you know a, um, a, a performance of some some people that were in a, in a situation they could have cared less to to be in. I did think it was kind of interesting the the, the different ways they were going to try to make the German forces um, think that they were much larger than they were, so they could just delay long enough to get reinforcements there, which eventually come. But um, one of the ones that I just I just kind of shook my head at was when they got a jeep to sound and backfire, um, and, and with treads included a a, a Sherman tank. Um, I, I I still I can I even rewound that at one point to just kind of try to wrap my mind around that. It just didn't work out too well. But you know the actors in here they're they're very one dimensional. Um, it's just meant really to have people in here to progress the story. Um, you know the story itself. You know about um, you know people trying to overcome odds, um, and, and it was creative how they went around, went about doing it. So um, and and you know the um, you know the end is just not what you think. I mean it kind of like you said it abruptly ends. Um, you know people die that you don't. I don't know. I didn't really expect it, but it wasn't surprising. Um, it, it was probably even appropriate. And, um, you know, it was, um, I, I, I probably will not watch this movie again, but I wouldn't tell anybody. If somebody said they really like combat or something, um, I would probably say, hey, definitely go check this movie out because you'll probably like this one too. So I'm, I am going to come in at, uh, I'm going to give it a, probably a 6.5. Hmm. Okay. You obviously don't appreciate it for the great value that it is that I hold, but that's all right. I clearly don't, nor um, nor do I consider your, your opinion worth much, but um, wow. but you still have your opinion. So just like everybody else has asses and they all stink. So. Well, and as I always said, if I had feelings, they'd be hurt. They'd be hurt. They'd yes. be hurt. All right, That's so why I th- say it because I know I can't hurt your feelings. <laughs> All right, so there you go, folks. That is it with uh, the Man Cave movie review of this great and fantastic film, or in Jeff's case, eh. But that. <laughs> All right, folks. That is it with uh, the Man Cave movie review, episode one hundred and thirty-three. 
Uh, check us out our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes and Stitcher at Man Cave Movie Review. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next week, I'm your host, Steve. I'm just a Polish DP, Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Jeff. Hey, all I do is type, Muncie. If this uh, if this show turns out being shit, I uh, totally blame uh, our, our two former podcast members. Wow. Or, if it sounds great, I, I just blame the dynamic duo that we were for um, a night of nostalgia. <laughs> or maybe Mark or Ken will never leave us again after hearing this. <laughs> this two-man show must never happen again. <laughs> Or the other thing they'll say is, how in the hell do they possibly talk that long about this movie? <laughs> well, there's all that. All right, and saying farewell and adieu on behalf of our other good and dear friends, Mark, Deadeye Slover, and Ken Peach Cobbler Roney, we say farewell and adieu, and we will see you. <laughs> Apple. Bye. Next week, and ciao! (laughs) And uh, on behalf of our other two very good and dear friends, and we do call them our very good and dear friends, uh, Jeff Deadeye Slover and Ken Peach Cobbler, Roni. Uh, did you just say Jeff Deadeye Slover? Did I say that? All right. Yes, you did, sir. Right. Yes, thank you because for not failing me on screwing up your closing there. Yeah, well, because um, Jeff yeah. Deadeye Slover. Um, yeah. That's I don't even. That, well, clearly, clearly, that's an embarrassment to me. But his name's Mark. It's a same. It's a four-letter word, but one I don't utter often. Go on. You know, I just got these new glasses, and they're multifocal, so I was... <laughs> so, so you're going to blame the glasses yes. on the fact that his name is Mark and my name is well, Jeff. Well, because I was, I'm was, i trying to read my script. He's yeah. Dutch, all right? <laughs> People are a cross between German and apparently Scottish, so I... <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Does that mean making a, make a sausage? Put haggis in a sausage <laughs> I was going to say you made haggis. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Haggis nitzel. <laughs> you know what? A year from now, I'm going to be watching some sort of exotic food show. Somebody's going to go. Here's your haggis schnitzel. Oh my god. All right. In three. Get me off. Get me off of here. God. <laughs> All right. In three, two, one.